everybody. Matthew, chapter, chapter, chapter. We're French now. Um, chapter 16, verse 28. 28. Having a hard time. Ken left some of his dribble up here that I just kind of picked up. It started tripping over my work. The rest of chapter 17 today, the whole chapter. Yeah, don't get so excited. All right, we'll be there today. If you go ahead and turn uh, in your Bible there, and we'll get to that. Um, there are two kinds of people in this world. How would you finish that sentence? Like I, At first I thought Android and Apple people, but Android people aren't really people. So I just, you green bubbles, ah, I curse you, you know. Just, <laughs> just kidding. No, no I, I've thought about this a lot, and it's mountain people and beach people. Those are the two kinds of, of people in this world, and both are excellent, are they not? Both are excellent, and I've spent, I've spent plenty of time at both, but I choose, um, I choose the beach, and really any time of the year is fine for this. I choose the beach when I want to do nothing. And I choose the mountains when I want to have some sort of experience, right? Some sort of adventure. And I, I'm not alone in this because it's kind of built into our language, right? When you have this life-defining or a experience, nobody says, man, I met God and it was the most amazing beach experience. <laughs> it just, just, doesn't, just doesn't fit, right? And that's not just Western or, or Southern. That's, there's some biblical... Uh, uh, under, underneath to that, there's a lot of Bible about this. Um, if you go to Exodus 3, where Moses met uh, God at the burning bush, that was at, the, that was at a mountain. Um, and when the nation was given the law through, through Moses, and there was all this fire and, and smoke and darkness and storms, and it was so frightening that Moses you know, and the people, they all trembled with, with fear. That was, they met God on a mountain. It was a mountaintop experience. Elijah. You remember the story of, of, um, of Elijah where he's battling the, the people who lead the, the, the worshipers, they worship Baal, and, and, they, and, they, and Elijah calls down on God to, to rain down and then God appeared directly to Elijah personally on Mount Sinai. Uh, we've been going through Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. Um, when Jesus faces the temptation of Satan, he goes up on, a, up on a mountain, right? That's where it took place, on a very, very high mountain. So we mountaintop experiences, they're built into the fabric of what it means to be a human, human being. And today we're going to read about a mountaintop experience that three disciples had, James and John and Peter. Okay? And it was so grand, it was such a powerful experience that Jesus told them they could not talk about it until the Matthew's over, <laughs> until the resurrection. Then they could talk about it. See, there's a theme developing here in the middle of Matthew, right? So much truth that could be so misunderstood, so you don't talk about it. But after the resurrection, they talked about it, and they wrote it down, because it was just that. It was a milestone moment. It was a mountaintop experience. And as you're going to see, there's really just two things that, that happened in that moment and two things that you and I need to do in that as a result of this, this text today. 
So look with me at Matthew 16, 28, and I'm going to read to verse 9. We'll do a little bit more later. But 16, 28 to 17, verse 9. The numbers and the chapter variations in there are not in Matthew's gospel. Those are added later by some Latin guy, and he messed up a lot. Okay, So 16, 28 through 17, 9. Jesus is speaking. Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain and His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. And suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you want, I will set up three shelters here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, With whom I am well pleased, listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down and were terrified. Jesus came up, touched them, and said, Get up. Don't accept Jesus alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anyone about the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. I want you to highlight, circle, underline, do something to manipulate the text in your Bible. Verse 5, where the Lord speaks, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Because that's what the point of the passage is. That's what we do with this passage. You and I need to, this whole sermon is application. You and I need to do what the Father said Peter, James, and John needed to do when this experience happened. We need to acknowledge Jesus and we need to listen to Jesus. This is my son. Listen to him. And so today I want to show you three things that we learn about Jesus to help us acknowledge Jesus and understand Jesus and know Jesus. And then I'm going to talk about how to listen to Jesus. And if we will look in this passage where Peter, James, and John are having this mountaintop experience with Jesus and two other pretty awesome guys if we will just acknowledge the Son here, what we'll see is three qualities about Him that are revealed in this experience. And the first one is Jesus' glory. Look at verse 2. Jesus was transfigured, metamorpho, in front of them, and His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Okay, so right Before 
disciples very eyes reflected his actual divine glory okay what was always true about his glorious state physically manifested itself right there in his physical body right there in front of these guys okay and the effect what is that his body became just what transfigured means it means to to alter its state okay it actually became some sort his physical body his physical earthly body transformed into some other worldly light source that was so powerful even his clothing changed okay so the closest point of reference to this account that we have in scripture is with Moses back in Exodus 34 you probably thought of this instantly when you read this Moses is set sits with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. And the text says, Exodus 30 says he's with the Lord. And up there he obtains the Ten Commandments. Okay? And after all that time, Moses comes down the mountain to deliver the law with the people. And his face shines so brightly that it freaks everybody out and nobody can look at him. It terrified everyone. So for Moses to deliver the law, he actually had to put a veil over his face. They put a paper bag over his head, right, from Trader Joe's. And so that when when he was in the presence of other people, he could actually communicate with them because he was with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights and his face reflected God's glory that powerfully that it terrified everybody. What in the world is going on with your face? Okay? Except they said it in Hebrew. <laughs> now there's a difference though between Moses' account and Jesus's in this one. And it's and it's it's clear as day. Moses was reflecting God's glory. Right? But Jesus has transfigured into his actual glory. Okay. Moses didn't have any glory. He could just reflect the one in whose presence he had sat. But Jesus is different. He actually is the glory. Okay. So after my, my parents divorced, my mother took a job in drug sales, the, the legal kind of drug sales as a pharmaceutical drug representative for a company called Bristol Myers Squibb. And I went to visit her one day when I was in grad school and I got to talking with her about her job and she was telling me about all the different drugs that she represented to different doctors in the area, you know, this one for heart issues, this one for diabetes, this one for yada, yada, yada. And then she mentioned this drug, I mean, I I don't think they do it this way anymore, but like she had a garage full of, you know, and she mentioned this one called Boost Bar which was just really funny to say. Like, it was just kind of funny to hear. And I was like, tell me more about Boost Bar. What, what, what's Boost Bar? And she goes, oh, Rob, you are the poster child for Boost Bar. Meaning, I embodied the very message for the need and the positive effects of Boost Bar, which, by the way, is an anti-anxiety medication says a lot about my grad school years, okay, and my personality. She did raise me, though, so maybe it's her fault. Okay. Um, 
See what my mom was saying? She was saying that I was or am, ask my wife, the perfect representation for Boost Bar. If you looked up Boost Bar in the dictionary, my picture would be there as far as my mother was concerned. Okay? I, was, I embodied the very need and message for the drugs. Folks, when the Father says in this passage, this is glory, he's saying that he is the glory. Jesus is not a representation of God's glory. He's not a reflection of God's glory. Jesus is not an ambassador for God's glory. He is the glory. And, G and the Father says to Peter, James, and John, this is my son. And I want you to see that he is glory. So we see his glory, but we also see his fullness. Look at verse 3. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him, with Jesus. Now, we don't know what they talked about, but we can harbor a very good guess as to why these two are there. Okay, such a good guess that I'm going to build an entire point on it. Okay. So the Old Testament has a lot of different literary genre, but by and large, you could break up the Old Testament into two forms, the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets. Moses is the one, oh, bless you. Moses is the one who gave the law, and Elijah was the forebear of the prophets. He was the first of the great prophets, okay? So now, in this moment, with Jesus' glory revealed, his spiritual reality made real, right there, it transfigures his physical being. Now, in, here comes Moses and Elijah standing there with Jesus, the very person whose legacy find their fulfillment in him. Moses is the one who represents the law. Elijah is the one who represents the prophets. The law and the prophets come together on a mountain when the glory of Jesus is being revealed and it represents the fact that he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Right here in this moment, we see the fullness of Jesus. That Moses and his life and Elijah and his message all gave their life to point to from the very beginning. The reason these two guys are there is not because they share in Jesus' glory, but because they point to it. They point to it. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17? Don't think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. This is why we go in order of a book, y'all. It's crazy, isn't it? Jesus is the culmination of the entire Old Testament revelation, and he is the fulfillment of everything that Moses and Elijah taught and represents. We see his completeness. When Adam was in the Garden of Eden, he yielded to the temptation of the devil and he sinned. And when Jesus walked in the garden of this planet, he never sinned and overcame every temptation. When Abraham offered up his son Isaac on the altar but did not sacrifice him, Jesus, and he did sacrifice him, we can say to God, now we know that you love us. 
Joseph was at the right hand of the Egyptian king and he forgave the treachery of his brothers, believing that even that which men mean for evil, God can mean for good. And Jesus, at the right hand of the Father, died at the hands of his brothers in order to accomplish the greatest good and grant forgiveness for all. When Moses stretched out his arms over the Red Sea, he bridged the divide between Egypt and Canaan so that people could be saved. And when Jesus stretched out his arms on the cross, he bridged the divide between God and all who could believe would be saved. Over and over and I go through the whole Old Testament and do this, gang. The law and the prophets find their fulfillment and their fullness in the person of Jesus. And right here on the mountain. Right here on the mountain. It's like... Um, you know when somebody tells you something and you're like, yes, I get it. It's true. It makes sense. And then you experience it and you go, oh, now I get it. It totally makes sense. That's what's happening in this moment. Matthew, has, excuse me, Peter, James, and John have been listening and, and, and seeing it to some extent. And Jesus has been, I'm going to talk about this in a minute, but Jesus is talking to them and talking to them and talking to them. And, like, and then he takes them on the mountain and they actually see it. They go, oh. We get it now. You really are their fulfillment because here's Moses and Elijah right here. The fullness, it's all about you. So we see your glory and we see your fullness, but the whole thing was really terrifying. <laughs> so we see something else about Jesus in this text. We see his goodness. Look at verse 4. There are actually two ways we see some goodness here, which maybe, how much? Oh, we got time. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you want, I'll set up three shelters here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. I have no idea how they recognized them. <laughs> but it was, it was clear. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down and were terrified. And Jesus came up, touched them, and said, get up. Don't, don't be afraid. If you, if you find it odd that in the midst of this holy and glorious moment, Peter spoke at all. <laughs> And then when he did speak, he that you're not alone in thinking that this is the weirdest thing you've ever seen. So some theologians think that Peter was just kind of stumbling his way through the experience and looking for a way to be obedient. Like, let's build you guys a tent and let's, so you'll stay longer and not be exposed to the elements. Let's make this a place where we're going to again in some, in some way, you know. Um, Luke, in his account of this transfiguration, just acknowledges straight out that it's weird. He says, Peter said this. He didn't know what he was thinking. He was just completely, you know, how some people experience something and they just can't stop talking. <laughs> That's what was going on. If Luke were Southern, it would be, you know, Peter said this, parentheses, bless his heart. You know, <laughs> something like that. All right. But regardless what happened as he said this, would have terrified any human being. Verse 5, while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them. This should immediately remind you of Exodus places like 
Exodus 19, when the Lord told Moses that he was going to come down over Mount Sinai in the form of a cloud, right? And look what the Lord said to them about this moment. Verse 19, verse 12. Put boundaries for the people around the mountain and say, be careful that you don't come up on the mountain or touch its base. Anyone who touches the base of the mountain must be put to death. So the Lord's coming in a cloud on a mountain, and he tells Moses, set a boundary, because if anybody even comes touches the base of the mountain, they will, they will die. And now here's Peter and James and John and Moses and Elijah and just whatever's happening with Jesus in this moment. And then all of a sudden there's this cloud and it's bright, and there's a voice, and it says, this is my son. Listen to him. Of course, Peter, of course, James, of course, John, fall to their face in terror because when the Lord comes in a cloud, no one survives because he's holy and we are not. But guess what? There's a mediator on the mountain. There's a mediator on the mountain. Somebody to stand. Oh, There's somebody to stand in between God and Peter and James and John, and he's the son, and he's good. So look what he says, right? He says, he gives them some truth. He gives them some love, right? And he, and he, and he gives them some footing. He says, he comes over to them. He touches them. With the Greek word there is not just like, hey, stand up. No, it's nice. <laughs> it's nice. That's, that was surprisingly there. Way to go, brother. <laughs> I wasn't, there's a lot there. You go out, don't, don't mess around with Sam, okay? Right? He grasps them and he guides them to their feet. And he removes their fear with his presence. It's one thing to believe in the spiritual realm. It is another thing to experience and to see the glory of God. And Jesus gives these disciples everything they need to survive and later enjoy and recount this moment. He gives them truth and encouragement and affirmation and assurance. The glorified Jesus to whom the law and the prophets point is a gentle and lowly Jesus. It's, a, it's the most beautiful picture and experience of Jesus' goodness. He's good. Um, I read this story about a, in, the, in the news about a, a kid. I'm going to call him Joe. He's got Down syndrome, and he works at a grocery store. He's a bagger. And it's not a particularly glamorous job if you've ever bagged groceries. It's dull, repetitive, minimal pay. But Joe, being Joe, uh, did not see it that way. So he worked with his dad, and they typed out a lot of inspirational sayings and quotes every night, and then they would cut them and roll them up. Um, and then Joe would take this, you know, this, these pieces of paper in a cup or a bag or something like that, and then as he was bagging your groceries, he would take one of the inspirational quotes or sayings, and he would drop it in the bag, 
just trying to spread a little love, spread a little joy, and the customers loved it so much so that after a couple of weeks of Joe doing this, it was nothing for you to walk into the grocery store and see 15 people lined up in one line where Joe was bagging with the others wide open going, I can help you on aisle seven. I can, can you imagine this in a grocery store? <laughs> I, like I, Everything I can to avoid the grocery store right now, even with the self-check, it drives me nuts. But 15 people lined up. Why? Because Joe is spreading some goodness. He's spreading some goodness, right? Didn't matter if the other checkout lanes were open. People would stand in line to meet Joe just to get his goodness. Boy, if, if, if only... Well, that, that brings me to my next point. This is my son. What do we learn about my son on this mountain? That he is glorious, that he is the fullness of the law and the prophets, and that he is good. If he is glorious and the law and the prophets find their fulfillment in him and he is good, how hard can it be to listen to him? How hard can it be? So first and foremost, let me just encourage you to listen to I hope you have a written version. I hope those haven't completely gone out of date. But you have a Bible. And he's spoken. You're not, you will forget. You will forget the glory, fullness, and goodness of Jesus if you don't listen to him. And if you listen to him, you will see the glory, fullness, and goodness of Jesus. Him saying principally the same thing, which brings me to the text of chapter 16 and verse and chapter 17. This is my son. Listen to him. What's been Jesus been talking about? Go back to chapter 16, verse 21. From then, when, when Peter said, you are the Messiah, and, and Jesus said, you get the keys and binding and loosing, and we're going to start the church with you, da 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 From then on, verse 21, Sixteen twenty-one. Jesus began to point out to his disciples that what? It was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. No, 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 no. And Jesus said, no, no, no. You get behind me, Satan. This is what is going to happen from then on. That is what Jesus began to say over and over and over and over and over again to his disciples. And they didn't want to believe it. They didn't want to believe it. And so Jesus finally says, look, this is what it means to be a Christian. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross. You've got to follow me. I'm going to do that. You're going to do that. I'll prove it to you. Verse 28. And he takes them up on a mountain. And he says, see my glory. See my fullness. See my goodness. Listen to me. And then in chapter 17, verse 22, as they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus told them the same thing. The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. And they were deeply his fullness. And you see his goodness. What you will hear is the gospel. That's what the Bible is about. It's about the life, the death, and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ who paid the price for your sin that if you would believe it, you would have eternal life. That is what you will have. There's simply no acknowledging the Son and listening to Him apart from 
prayer and for Bible reading and being here on a Sunday to worship with your people and study God's word together. Listen to the sun, listen to the sun, listen to the sun. And if you will, open your Bible and pray and worship. What he will tell you is, I came, I died, and I resurrected, and I'm coming back. Any questions? Over and over and over again. Reject any semblance, any notion, any of the idea that you could read this text. The only thing we have that tells us about Jesus in all of history, like this is what we've got. There's no reading the account of the transfiguration and going, you know what, Jesus is a spiritual person. You will see his fullness and his glory and his goodness. Let's pray together. Father, that is what we do want to see. Make us hungry for the goodness. That, that you would be so kind as to remove, so as to remove any potential semblance of doubt for Peter, James, and John and your disciples to not only demonstrate and show that you are fully human and come as a man, but then to, to bring kingdom realities to bear through uh, your, your healings and your miracles, but also to teach and demonstrate uh, through the word how the law and the prophets point to you and that you fulfill them, but then to actually demonstrate your glory as divinity on this earth, to remove all possible semblances of doubt because you know that Peter, James, and John, the disciples, they're going to need it. They were deeply distressed a few days later, even after seeing your glory on a mountain. You were so good and so kind and so benevolent and so faithful. Just help us believe it. Help us listen to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.